Amen and good morning. Well, uh, before we dive in, I want to welcome our online viewers specifically today. Uh, we've been using, utilizing online now for hmm, nearly four years. It's crazy to think about that. Uh, thank you, March of 2020. Just leave it at that. But uh, if you're an online viewer today, uh, we actually want to kind of know who you are. Uh, and so if you would take some time today and email us uh, at office at fbcfriendswood.org, uh, whether you watch on Facebook uh, or on our website, we'd love to be able to encourage you and help you. Uh, part of the main thrust of the message today is about who we are as a family of faith, and we want you to be uh, engaged and connected to our family of faith. And so if you'll just let us know that you're watching and whoever else is in your household and maybe a, another way to reach you besides your email, we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, we want to encourage you and include you the best we can. And so for everyone, those of you in the room uh, and online, uh, I have one more public service announcement. Uh, we have a great ministry uh, here at our church, and it's our weekday preschool. We call it Children's Day. And they, uh, starting tomorrow or Tuesday, um, have open registration for church members. And so if you have a little one, uh, 10 months old uh, to four years old, and you're looking for a place to, to have them uh, learn and grow and understand all about Jesus, uh, I would invite you to check out our Children's Day. Uh, some of our church members work there. It's a wonderful place and an amazing ministry of our church. It's a wonderful way that we uh, help impact the community with that. So today we're going to be in the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 18. We've been there for a few weeks, and as you're turning there, I want to remind you kind of where we've been. Uh, in the fall, uh, we were in the book of Philippians. Uh, that's Philippi. Uh, and then we jumped after Christmas uh, to the, back to the book of Acts, and uh, we started out in Thessalonica, uh, and then that's in northern Greece. And then we moved to Berea, which is central Greece, and then last week we were down in Athens, uh, Paul traveled to Athens uh, down in southern Greece, home of the Olympics, and, and today we're going to be in Corinth. And as we think about these last six months, uh, the book of Philippians, uh, Paul's message in those other three cities that I just mentioned, Thessalonica, Berea, and Corinth, have all been pretty similar uh, there, there's a common theme in all of those, and that common theme is Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Holy One of God. Jesus is the one necessary for salvation. And so sometimes in church life, uh, as we hear that message over and over again, if you've been in church for two years or 40 years, uh, you hear that message a lot about Jesus is the Christ. Well, the reality is this entire book, from Genesis to Revelation, and by the way, Revelation is singular, not plural, uh, Genesis to Revelation, this entire book is pointing to that very one fact, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. From the book of Genesis and how God used sacrifices uh, to help clothe Adam and Eve in their sin, how there was death even as a picture of what God would do. All through the Old Testament law, um, into the prophets, which we get to talk about uh, just about every summer, uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah, the two major prophets, the book of Daniel, uh, everything is pointing to Jesus. And then we get to the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those, those books about the person of Jesus Christ. And then all the letters to the churches after that, everything in this book points 
to the person of Jesus Christ as the one who came as God in the flesh. God came in the flesh for you and me. Born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, sinless, without fault. And then he died on a cross, a death that you and I should have had, but he had it. He was our substitute. And he paid the penalty of our sin, the wage, the Bible says, he paid the wage of our sin. And then he rose on the third day, conquering sin and death. That is the one message of this entire book. And so sometimes, if it seems repetitive, it's because that's the one message of the Bible. And and in the New Testament, Paul, not just when he was talking to people who didn't believe, like we've been looking at here the last few weeks, but even to the churches, when we look at the book of Philippians, if you look in Corinthians, Ephesians, all these books, he constantly repeats that same message. That, that Jesus came as our perfect substitute. He died, on the third, he died and rose on the third day. And otherwise, if that didn't happen, let's all go to lunch. Because who cares? Like we sh- we're, we're to be pitied among all people if that fact is not true. And so with all of that said, that as we think about time and time and time again, that we point to the person of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us, that that message is repeated over and over again. Today, we're going to look at something a little different. It's going to be different today. And so I want to encourage you to look at Acts chapter 18, verse 1. And let's see uh, what Paul's experience was in Corinth. It says this, After Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy. Oh, by the way, in the Bible, it's real places. Italy existed in the ancient world. It exists today. Greece existed then. The Bible talks about real places that exist. And he came with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, And tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus, that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and and when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius, Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord and together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when uh, Galio, the proconsul of Achaia, in Texan that's like Achaia, but in Greek it's kind of supposed to be Achaia, this weird guttural sound that we have a tough time making. The Jews made a united attack on Paul. And brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galio said to the Jews, 
If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about your words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. Now I want to give you some insight into Corinth, this city that Paul is in the synagogue, hanging out with the Gentiles, the, the pagans. Uh, he's in the court of law. He's battling, you know, hooligans uh, in, you know, hand-to-hand combat, trying to beat people up. So, so what is this city like? Well, well Corinth is probably one of the two most important ancient cities uh, in, in the world at this point in relation to commerce and to trade. It, it was a port city. It was on, on the isthmus of, of Greece. It was a small isthmus, and there was two seaports. They had two ports, like we have the port of Houston, port of Galveston. They had two seaports that helped uh, commerce and trade and sailors avoid a 200-mile treacherous trail uh, along the sea. And so it, it cut off those 200 miles so they'd have a safe passage to get goods uh, to, to the east uh, and to Africa. Uh, but, but as you might guess, uh, anytime you have a seaport, there's some sailors. And sailors are all known for their upright character. And, and so all, all of this commerce coming to this town uh, was important. It was an important city. Uh, ironically, uh, about 100 years uh, 200 years before this, the city had been destroyed, burned in a fire, 146 B.C. And then about 100 years before that, Julius Caesar, in 46 B.C., re- rebuilt the city. So here are 100 years after the city has been rebuilt, or, or so, 110 or so years, after the city had been rebuilt, Paul gets onto the scene in this thriving city of commerce, home of the Isthmian Games. It's kind of uh, the Olympics uh, meets a music festival. And, and, and it was all for the god of Poseidon, uh, the Greek god Poseidon. Those of you watching Percy Jackson, you know all about him. But, but this is the, the Isthmian game. So they have this Olympic-type game, music festivals, uh, god worship, little g-god worship. It, it's the center of commerce. Uh, there's people from all over the world coming to this community. And then to top it all off, Uh, One of the largest known temples to the goddess Aphrodite is in Corinth uh, on this cliff that's 2,000 feet above. And so during certain seasons of the year when they would have this god worship, uh, worshiping the goddess Aphrodite, there would be a thousand prostitutes every night that would come into the city. It, It makes some of our communities look holy and pure. And so that's the context, that's the setting, Uh, a a seaport, a a melting pot of people, pagan god worship, sin everywhere. And in the ancient world, if there was a a Greek play or a a play and they had to use a character that would be from Corinth, uh, they would always make him a drunk. So anytime a Corinthian in a play was shown, he was shown as a drunkard. That's what they thought about the city. It was just a city of immorality. And so Paul burst onto the scene here after having been to Thessalonica, Berea, and Corinth. 
And I don't know if you've ever kind of walked through periods of your life where every time you turn around, you take two steps forward and three steps back. Have you ever had one of those seasons? Well, that, that's Paul in Acts 17 and 18. Like every place he goes, he gets mixed reviews from the Jews. Some of them love him so much they want to beat him up, throw him in jail, and run him out of town. Some of them want to listen to him and pay attention, uh, and, and some people just act like he's a fool. And so that's his scene, the, the last probably year of travel, of two steps forward, three steps back, lots of struggle, lots of travel, a lot of spiritual attack, a lot of personal attack. He, he's having to ro- rely on other people to support him financially, mostly the Philippians. He's having to rely on other people to provide his salary. His own people, the Jews, are against him. And here he comes to Corinth without any of his friends. Right? His, two, his two friends, Silas and Timothy, aren't there. You ever been in one of those spots where it's like, I, I, I'm exhausted. I, I, I've had my fill. I, I'm tired of, I, I can't win for losing. <laughs> Having those moments. I, I imagine that's where Paul is in this moment. And then he gets to the city and he goes to the one place where he thinks, okay, uh, this is my home, the synagogue. I, I'm going to go and I'm going to share and I'm going to continue to be faithful to the Lord and, and give uh, the word of God. I, I'm going to show them who Jesus is. He's the Christ. And all they do is yell at him and oppose him and revile him, call him names, reject him. And there comes a point when all of our lives where there is moments, maybe it's at work, uh, maybe it's with a child or a friend, maybe it's with your spouse, uh, maybe it's an extended family member, maybe it's your next door neighbor where you're like, I'm out. (laughs) You can have it. I'm done. I'm walking away. I'm I'm tired of your nonsense. I'm tired of arguing. I'm tired of you always taking the credit. I'm, always, I'm tired of you always blaming me. I'm tired. I'm done. Well, that's what Paul says to these Jews in the synagogue. The DLV, the David Lorenz version, would be like, you hard-headed fools. I'm out, and you're doomed. Thank you very much. I'll be in heaven. Right? I, I just like walk away. We're done. See you later. Because what does he say to them? He says, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. He is proclaiming judgment, God's judgment on these Jews. His, his people, he's proclaiming judgment. He's had enough. And so imagine in that moment, he's like, God, what have you gotten me into? I, I can't take this forever. I, I can't keep going at this pace and he meets Crispus and some others, and of course Priscilla and Aquila. He's he's having to actually make tents, right? That's why he meets Priscilla and Aquila from Italy, and they're tent makers. And so while he's being rejected in the synagogue, he's also having to work and make tents so that he can earn a living, so that he can have food because his support evidently had dried up. And so work isn't going great. I don't have a lot of money. No one likes me. Life is difficult. And then God comes to him in a vision and reminds him of who he is. 
and reminds him of what God has done and will do in his life. And so I want to read again, if you've got a red letter Bible, you can read your red letters, but it's, it's the end of verse 9 and 10. It says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. I, I want to remind us, as God reminded Paul in this moment, of three very simple but profound things that God promises you and me. He promises us. He promises us that we don't need to be afraid. It's the number one command in the Bible. Do not be afraid. Most scholars think it occurs 365 times in the scripture. Do not be afraid. It's the same command that, that he gave to Moses and Joshua. And I don't know if you ever think about Joshua's story much, but think about Joshua. He's a young guy, a young adult, having to take over for maybe the greatest leader known to humanity at the time, and maybe of all time. Like, I got to take over for the greatest leader ever. Oh, that'll be easy. And, and lead a, a million people or more. Oh, yeah, I'm 27. Easy peasy. Do not be afraid. So wherever you are, it's a reminder, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But go on speaking and don't be silent. Keep speaking the truth. For Paul, I imagine, after he'd had that last encounter at the synagogue, he wanted to just be done with his own people. He wanted to just like go and hide and run away. Like, I'm tired of this. Like, God, throw me a bone. Like, some way. The good news is he, he gets to meet Crispus. But the world, the world has a, a unique way of squeezing us to silence. That's the world's agenda. That's the agenda of the enemy. That's the enemy of ourselves that would be squeezed to silence. It's those moments when we've befriended someone and we've been telling them about the truth of Jesus Christ and they keep rejecting us over and over again. When, when we live a life of character and honesty and integrity in front of a bunch of people who don't, it's easy to say, I'll just give in because who cares? No, keep on speaking the truth. Keep on living the truth. Don't be afraid. The world wants to squeeze you to silence. But God gives you the power to speak with boldness. Even when you're weary. Even when it seems like it doesn't matter. Even when it seems like it's not making a difference at all. Keep on speaking the truth. Why? Because God is with you. He says, I am with you. You're going to be okay. Paul was going to be okay. You're going to be okay because God is with you. The very thing that he told Moses and Joshua and David and others throughout the scripture. So many of his servants, I am with you. But I want you to look at how God says that he's with him. In this passage. Because sometimes we think about, oh, God is with me, yes, but I can't see or feel or touch God. But look what he says. Immediately after that, he says, 
I have many in this city who are my people. You know, one of the great ways that God demonstrates that he's with us, he does so by the person next to you and in front of you and behind you. That's how he demonstrates that he's with you because we are the family of faith. One old poet said it this way, God takes care of sparrows. Right, that's in the scripture, Matthew chapter six. God takes care of sparrows, but sometimes he uses other sparrows to do it. That the people of God are one of the ways that you and I know that God is with us. A long time ago, I served in college and singles ministry. Uh, for about 15 years, I worked with young adults and singles. And, and one of the, the great challenges in, in any college and single adult ministry is to protect those who are in the ministry. Because stereotypically, there would be a guy who would enter the ministry with one mission. And you know what that mission is if you've been single. That mission is to find a, a wife. There you go, find a wife. Find a wife, one mission. He may or may not have cared about Jesus, uh, may or may not have, but he wanted to find a wife. And so he would go. And the longer I was in college and singles ministry, the more I realized it wasn't just the guys. Uh, the girls got pretty aggressive too, looking for Mr. Wright. And so as we walked through various events, we would have retreats and big events and dances and all kinds of stuff. We would do things to have lots of fun. But one of the things we would always tell them is, hey, we need to think about ourselves as dolphins and sharks. All of you are dolphins. But somehow, some way, there's going to be a shark or two come into the water. And dolphins can defeat sharks. It's a proven scientific fact. You, YouTube it, okay? You'll see it. When dolphins stay together, they can defeat sharks easily. But what's the key? Stay together. Don't isolate yourself. Don't get out here on the limb. Because then the rest of the dolphins can't help you. They can't protect you. They're not with you. And that shark's going to come in with all his 12 rows of teeth and he's going to get you. And you're going to be in trouble. But if you stay close, even if that shark comes in and grabs you, those other dolphins are going to attack that shark. And with that strong nose of theirs, they're going to beat him in the side. Maybe verbally, sometimes physically. <laughs> if we keep the metaphor going. But how do you stay protected with the people of God? We know God's with us because we're together with each other. And we can protect one another. We hold each other accountable. We, when, when, there, when there's an enemy from the outside or the in, we, inside, we, we can come alongside each other. That's how we know God's with us because we're part of the family of faith. And we're protected. And those dolphins cute and smart, can outwit the enemy. That's what God is reminding Paul in this moment. I, I've got many, you, you may not know it, Paul. You, you think there's nobody here. You think there's nobody here that loves Jesus. But I have many people in this city. And we have many people, not just in this church, but in our communities that love Jesus 
And so let's stay together to remind ourselves that God is with us. And as we think about those truths of of not fearing, not being afraid of of difficulty and defeat because God's told us this world is going to be challenging. It's hard. But Jesus has overcome this world so we can overcome. We don't have to be afraid. We we need to keep on speaking the truth of Jesus Christ. We need to stand on the word of God. We We need to believe it to be true. And even in the darkest moments, we can shine brightly. And then to trust that God is with us. And sometimes we're reminded of that because we've got fellow believers alongside us. But I want us to to embrace two important facts today about who we are as a people of God. The first is that there are other people here for you. It's easy in our world to, to feel isolated and alone and social media and our phones in our pocket and all of that hasn't made it easier for us to feel connected. It's a false connection. But I want to remind you that that there are other people here for you. And so if you feel alone or hurting, know that the people in this room and the people that were in this room before are here for you. And you're here for them. Because think about who was there for Paul. Silas and Timothy, his two companions, they got there from Macedonia. Priscilla and Aquila arrived from Italy, and they helped Paul. They, they helped him sustain his, his well-being by giving him an opportunity to make tents. His new friend Crispus, who if you remember anything about the book of Corinthians, you know that Crispus was one of the two people that Paul baptized. So he had a close connection with this guy. Paul even proclaimed in Corinthians, I didn't baptize very many of you because the church was kind of getting divided over who was the best pastor, preacher, leader. And Paul's like, I'm glad I didn't baptize a bunch of you because you'd be using that against me or against Apollos. But Crispus was one of the folks that he baptized. A leader in the synagogue. Is that an important position? Sure it is. And there are people in this church who are here for you. We need to remember that. We need to embrace that. We need to go to one another. Share our needs, our desires, our dreams, our hurts, and then I want to encourage you as a, as a people of God to, to f- stay a while, to stay a while, to, to engage and make this your spiritual home. There, there's a passage in here that we probably just like skip right over for reading it at the end of that vision that God had. Verse 11 says, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Every other place that Paul had been, it was just a matter of months that he stayed. But here he planted some roots. It's probably why we have actually four letters to the Corinthians. Uh, We only know of two. We only have record of two of them, but there are probably four letters to the church at Corinth. We have first and second Corinthians. But he established a home, and, and that's God's calling for us, that we would establish a spiritual home. You and I need a spiritual family. We need it. And the, the lingo that we use around here is we need a place to worship, that, that we would come together like this as a body of believers and worship together. 
Yes, we should be worshiping every day because worship is an ongoing response of God's love for us, that we respond to God and declare our love to him because he loves us. But we need a place to gather together to worship. So if you know somebody that's a part of this family and they're not engaged in worship, encourage them, challenge them. Because if you have a home, you should go to all the rooms in the home. You shouldn't just pick and choose. Oh, I'm only going to hang out in the kitchen. The, the master bedroom's nice, but I'm, I'm not going to visit anywhere else in my house. That, that's a crazy person. Unless you're like 78 years old and you have an upstairs that nobody uses, that's okay. <laughs> we'll give you a pass. But, but if you have a home, you, you live in the home. And so for us, that, that's... Part of that's worshiping together as a people of God. So if you know someone who's not worshiping this, invite them, encourage them. And we talk about connection here, being in a group somewhere. That's, that's another place for us. And so I'm encouraging if you're not in a group, get in a group. We have all Sunday morning. We have some during the week. We've, I've mentioned Bible studies today. Find a place where you can get connected with other people. And you can learn and grow together. That You'll know their needs and they will know your needs. It's hard to do that right here. It's hard to have those deep, important conversations when you're in worship, but you can do that in a group. And so that's part of being home, having a spiritual home. And sometimes that home needs to be taken care of. You need to do the dishes. You've got to vacuum occasionally. So there's places to serve uh, inside the home. There's also a place outside to serve. We talk about serving. But I, I'm going to serve as a part of my home. Sometimes it's mowing the yard. I love it. I love to mow the yard. I don't. Like nobody laugh because you don't know if that's true or not. But my family does. I, I hate yard work. But I do it sometimes. Um, and, and so like, sometimes we've got to go outside the home to serve and to give our life away for Christ. That's what it means to be a part of a family, to be a, be a spiritual home, to make an investment in one another, and to make an investment in my own growth as a part of my faith. And so as I, I look at this passage, it's kind of a different passage as, we, as we've been looking at Paul's journey across Greece. It's almost like a pit stop here where God has to remind him and sometimes remind us, like, hey, on this journey of life, it's hard, it's difficult, it's challenging. But I've made a way for you. I've made a way for you to, to be connected to others who love Jesus. And so today, as, as we think about what this means for us, I, I want to invite you as we close today and we respond in a moment when we have our response song. I, I want to invite you to, to come and pray, maybe for yourself. Maybe you're in a place where you're not, you're not in every part of the home. You just sort of pop in like it's a VRBO or Verbo. You, you just sort of pop in occasionally. And you're not really connected but you know that God calls you to be connected to a spiritual home. Maybe you're afraid and, and life is really challenging right now and, and you're not sure which way to go and you need God to reassure you that he's with you. I want to invite you to come and pray or, or maybe you just have been silent these days and God's been 
speaking to you and you're like, "Mm, I I need to say something to this person. Not your blood is on your own head, not that speech. Uh, I need to give them a, a, a speech of love and grace. And so maybe you need to come and pray and just ask about that. But I, I want to invite all of you to, to consider praying for those that don't have a home, that don't have a spiritual home. There, there are hundreds of thousands of people in a 10-mile radius who don't have a spiritual home. And God's called us to be the people to go and help them find a home. And so I want to invite you to come and pray and just say, Lord, I know some people who don't have a home. And I want them to find a home in Jesus' name. Will you pray with me?